In the name of the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among them. Blessed the fruit of thy Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle within us the fire of your divine love. Send forth your spirit and they shall be created. Let us pray. O God, who did instruct the hearts of your faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by the same Spirit we may be truly wise and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. O Lady Fatima, St. Joseph, St. Nasus, St. Charles Luanga, all God's angels and saints, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Good evening. Trying to give you as much as we possibly can in the limited time we have, uh, the handout we're going to give tonight, I'm going to give you two meditations. And I only have enough time to speak about one of them. So the meditation, that the handout is going to be on the Beatitudes. Okay, the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. So that'll be the handout as well as my, uh, my article. So uh, I'm going to give you that. But I, I feel I, I try to pray over what I think I should be giving to you. And when I was praying to the Blessed Mother uh, in front of the Pieta, she said, talk about the, the Last Supper. So I want to obey Mary's inspiration, yes. Yeah, I, I feel I give, I give a retreat. I don't talk about that. It's in, incomplete. So... If you've ever done a 30-day Ignatian retreat, normally you have 11 days going through the public life of Christ. We only have 12 hours. <laughs> but at least we can, we, can, we can go deep in these few hours that we have. So you can, you'll meditate. Uh, maybe tonight, if you're not too tired, spend a little bit of time meditating upon the Sermon on the Mount. The, the Sermon on the Mount, maybe you know, the Sermon on the Mount is Matthew cha- chapter 5, 6, and 7. Okay, it's three, three long chapters. And um, let me give you some of Ignatius. Given that I don't know you, and w- with people that I know for the first time, I try to give a lot at first. But... One, one idea, one word could be enough to do a whole hour of meditation. Okay, you hear me? It could be one word. I'm giving you a lot. Because some of you are beginners, you're doing it the first time. Others have more experience. But even those who maybe have done a three or four day retreat, still in a certain sense we're learning. We're learning to go deeper in our prayer life. So, but Ignatius himself says, it's not, in, it's not in, in knowing much, but relishing the truth. What he means by that is one idea, 
one idea, one verse could be enough, can be enough to help you do a whole hour of meditation. So if I give you three long chapters in my in my meditation, there's a lot there. Maybe just one of the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, blessed are the pure, blessed are the the peacemakers, blessed are uh, the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for holiness, blessed are the persecuted, in honor of these saints today. Maybe one of those will touch you where you're at and stay with it. Then you have the Sermon on the Mount, which is the longest preaching of Jesus in the Gospel of St. Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Okay, you hear me? But I'd like to give you points. We're going to be jumping from there, from there to the Last Supper. So my, my, my lecture tonight will be on the Last Supper. Okay, my introduction will be, I'd like to summarize, at least in a few moments, one of my favorite movies. And if you haven't seen it after the retreat, please see it. And with your, if you, with your family. Okay, it's... In Spanish, it's called El Gran Milagro. Okay? Okay, El Gran Milagro. In English, we call it The Greatest Miracle. I don't think I've ever seen a movie better on the Mass than this. came out about, I'd say maybe about 13 years ago. I think it probably came out here in Nebraska because it hit the public theaters in L.A. You probably had it here for a couple of weeks. Uh, How many of you have heard of the the movie? Okay, only a couple. Are any of you involved in catechesis? Any involved in your, your parish? This would probably be, once I explained it, this would be the best movie to prepare your kids for First Communion and Confirmation. Over the past 15 years when they give retreats in preparation for Confirmation, it's part of the program. Part of the, I give like a, a six-hour retreat, but that's part of it. It's taken from a mystic. Her name is Catalina Rivas, from a little booklet that she put together. And um, do you know what claymation is? Okay, so it's like David and Goliath, he used to have like 50 years ago. It's claymation. It's really well done, like cartoon, claymation. Like your kids will love it, but I'm a theologian. I love the thing. You know? The music, the music is superb. Now the music is going to bring you to tears. So get, get out your handkerchief. No, it's really well done. And, um, and, and it's only about an hour. So in the context of a parish retreat, an hour, maybe 65 minutes. Some movies go on three or four hours. It's kind of long. But one hour isn't that long. So let me give you a summary of it. And then that connect with this, connect us to the Last Supper. We're building upon Prince One Foundation. Let me ask you a question. Do you want to be happy? 
Okay? All of you want to be happy? Do you think if you walk, walk out afterward in the streets of Omaha and you stop someone and you ask someone, do you want to be happy? The person going to say, no, I want to be sad. I, I doubt it. Or, you know, six days of the week I like to be happy, but Monday is my sad day. I, don't th- I think everyone you meet in this world, if you ask them you want to be happy, 24-7, unless the person is, is crazy. You know? Everyone wants to be happy. But there's a universal call to holiness, but there's a universal call to happiness. You want to be happy. You want to make a mother sad? Your little kid, kids are sad. You're sad too. Right? It's called compassion, suffering with. We all want to be happy. Okay, the next question is, why do we meet so many people that are sad? Face it, in your work worlds, you, some of you still work, or you all retired? In your work world, you're surrounded by a lot of people that are sad, Right? Hello? Yeah, uh, maybe not all of them, but they're just a, kind of like a sadness, like a, like a cloud of sadness. But they want to be happy. Okay, here's a story for you. There was a Baptist minister that was pounding away against drinking. This was in, in Alabama in the South, where there's a lot of drinking. And he said, the Baptist minister, if I had all the whiskey in the world, I'd throw it in the river. If I had all the beer in the world, I'd throw it in the river. If I had all the vodka in the world, I'd throw it in the river. And the more he said it, the more forcefully he said it. So, and after he said, if I had all the gin rummy in the world, I would throw it in the river. So he sat down, and the choir master said, for our closing hymn, let us sing, let us go to the river joyfully. (laughs) Now we laugh at that that story that I heard from uh, Baptist minister Adrian Rogers. But there's a kernel of truth in that. They were seeking happiness in drinking in the river of happiness. But we can only find happiness in God. Amen? So the primary reason why people are not happy but but they're sad is because they're looking for happiness in the wrong place. I think I could could go to secular universities and and give this talk, even to an atheistic college. I think I could. And I think it hit home. Why are you in those depression pills? Why do you try to kill yourself? Why do you have those cuts on your wrists? Because you're not happy. Happy. 
St. Augustine says, O Lord, you have made our hearts for thee, and our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. St. Augustine, O Lord, you have made our hearts for thee, our hearts are restless until they rest in thee. So if we do not seek our happiness in God, then we will establish in our lives a false god. That's called an idol. What is an idol? An idol is whenever you put any person, place, thing, or idea above God. I've written works on the many idols we have in the, in the United States. With, starting with philosophical systems. Want to hear them? Materialism, consumerism, hedonism, agnosticism, militant atheism. Want me to keep going on? Those are all the isms that we have in the United States. That could go on and on. These are false gods, starting with an erroneous philosophical system. Bad actions start with bad thought processes. My dad would always teach us the thought is the father of the deed. True, Mr. Broom, yeah. The thought is the father of the deed. What you do is conceive in your mind first. Then it goes in your heart and it's turns into an action. So this is somewhat of a long philosophical intro to my topic, to the movie. Now the, the, the movie starts off with three, three individuals in crisis. You've got Doña Cata, she's lost her husband. Monica is a young widow who's lost her husband. And Don Sheno is a bus driver whose son is dying of terminal cancer. They all have these serious problems. Serious problems. And they're angry, they're disgruntled, Life has no meaning until God sends them their garden angel. And the garden angel leads the three of them, guess where? Into church. And the garden angel sits down next to the three of them, and they're sitting in three different places. And what does the garden angel do? The garden angel explains to the three of them from the very beginning to the end of the Mass. So if you teach catechesis for First Communion, nothing better. Explains every part of the Mass from, from the beginning, from the entrance, the song, the readings, the homily, 
the liturgy of the Word, the liturgy of the Eucharist, the Offertory, the Sanctus. The priest lifts up the host. You can see Jesus in the host, the consecration. Lifts up the chalice. You can see the blood dripping down from the cross into the chalice. I mean, <laughs> it's, a, it's moving. And, you know, some of your children that don't go to Mass... Show them that, and that might bring them back to Mass. And some of you have some young adults that are questioning. I, they, they cannot see that with an open mind without moving them to, to, think, to see the value of Mass. <laughs> then the culminating point is the three of them go up and receive Holy Communion. The older woman Doña Cata, Catalina. She's drawn close, and her garden angel says she has a very pure heart. She receives Holy Communion, and she dies, and she's taken up to heaven. Kind of a tearjerker. Then the other young widow receives Holy Communion, and the bus driver receives Holy Communion and they leave the church. So they start out the movie in desolation. You ever hear that word? Hello? You know what that is by now, right? <laughs> so now you're going to cast me into desolation. <laughs> they start out in desolation. After they go to Mass and go to Communion, they leave flying on cloud nine. Filled with joy, filled with peace, filled with the desire to love Christ and to carry out their obligations and to carry their cross. So try to see that movie, maybe with your family afterward. Then comment on it. Okay, my friends. The biggest religious group in the United States are non-practicing Catholics. Okay, I'm going to ask you a theological and a pastoral question related to the topic. Why are so many Catholics leaving the church like rats jump on the Titanic, if I can use a graphic expression? Remember the Titanic? Huh? And it's a good image, because that's what's happening. Seems as if we're in the sinking ship. Ship is sinking. Why? I've been involved in pastoral work many, many years, and so have these sisters too, many years. No? Okay, probably what you're going to say at the offset. Okay, I, I know what you're thinking. The scandals in the church. Okay, I got you. McCarrick and these scandals, and I, I know them more than you. Yeah. Now, I'm more aware of that than you are. Many scandals in the past 50 years. I'm not going to deny that. Okay, oh, you say, okay, the church is always asking for money. Okay, I've heard that one many times. No? 
Okay, maybe the, the lector makes a mistake. So, well, uh, being an English major, I pick it up better than you. Okay. Maybe the choir is not up to par at times. Okay. It's not the Sistine Choir that was there at my ordination. Yeah, okay. Maybe a Pavarotti can't sing in all the masses, huh? Ah, the homilies, pretty bad. I mean, I could, I could go on and on and on until next week about all the different objections, but I don't think you're hitting, I don't think you're hitting the mark. You're on the periphery. The basic reason is because Catholics, many Catholics, no longer believe in the Eucharist. That's the primary reason. That's the reason. Everything else is tangential. How can it be that most Jehovah Witnesses are ex-Catholics? That's a shame. How can it be that most Mormons are ex-Catholics? Terrible. It's a truth. Most Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses, they used to be Catholics. Something is rotten in Denmark, as we say in New York. <laughs> Something rotten. And it's because, because we no longer believe in the Eucharist. Which means, over the past 50, 60, 50, 60 years, the catechesis has been a disaster. Almost across the board. Almost across the board. I'll tell you a story. My mom is a holy woman. I don't think I've ever met a, a better, well-formed layperson than my mother. Maybe Patrick Madrid, too. Okay. And she knows her stuff well. The parish, where they're not, they didn't allow confession before First Communion. You don't want to traumatize the little kids. So she goes to the priest and the sister and she has an appointment with them. She brings to them canon law and the catechism of the Catholic Church. She gives them the most authoritative documents in the world. And what, what happens? They say, oh, Joan, we don't like your theology. We don't like your theology. Well, it happens to be the richest town in New Hampshire. My mom and dad have got, they've got big bucks. Pull the money out of the basket. <laughs> money speaks, huh? But isn't it sad that a lay person has to correct on a nun and a priest, teaching them canon law, so that little children, Jesus says, let the little children come to me, and she's just pushed aside as a religious fanatic. That's my mother. Painful. That's painful. How would you like that if that happened to your mother? 
We all have a special heart and our love for our moms, don't we? It hurts me. And why does she have to teach a priest and a nun what should be done with respect to the Eucharist and confession? It's not a, it's not a fable, it's a reality. <laughs> it's reality. So, the primary reason why we have people walking away from the church is because there are many Catholics that have never believed in the Eucharist. Or they have believed in the Eucharist, but what has happened is that they, in time, they've lost belief in the Eucharist. Because you can believe, you can have faith, but you can lose your faith. If you don't use it, you lose it. Huh? You can lose your faith. But I'm still, my point is this. Even though there might be some problem, maybe the priest has made a wrong decision, maybe we got angry at you, maybe we weren't kind with you in confession, I mean, all these things are painful, but they shouldn't be reasons to push you out of the church. Because we don't go to, you don't go to the church for the personality uh, of Father Billy, okay, or the the dynamism of the of the choir, you know that's secondary. You go to the church because of love for Christ. Otherwise, you, you've lost the whole meaning of Catholicism. Okay, so you know, but but if we if we if we really believe in the Eucharist, we really believe in the Eucharist. We love the Eucharist. That should keep us in the church. If we have a deep faith, that should be enough. My friends, one Mass and communion is worth more than the whole created universe. I don't want to be overly simplistic. Do you believe in the Eucharist? Do you? How could you not come to daily Mass? That should be your priority. And Memphis, Memphis, in fact, my, my mother, 91 years old, driving 30 miles... 10 degrees there in New Hampshire to go to daily mass. Why does this 90-year-old woman traveling at 10 degrees, you never experienced that in Nebraska, <laughs> 10 degrees, how, well, anyway, traveling those miles, then in the snow, then to climb up these stairs, why? Because she believes in the Eucharist. She can't live without the Eucharist. And irrespective of the lack of perfection of the priests, still, if I lift up the host, you got God present. That should be enough. Do we believe or don't we believe? 
You lift up the host, that's God. And that should be enough. And I'm going to challenge you people. Okay, as a result of this retreat, every month, you're going to bring one person back to church. If I ever see you again, I'm going to ask you, have you done it or not? Okay? Once a month. If the Jehovah Witnesses can do it, why can't we do it? You know someone. Go after that person. Pray, fast, invite, give this movie. Do all you possibly can. Bring them back. Didn't you hear the call of the king? Or were you asleep when they were going through the call of the king? You should feel an ardent desire to bring people back to Christ and the church. Okay, once again, principle and foundation. You want to get to heaven. Have you ever read John chapter 6, any of you? No, we're not Protestants. Okay, John chapter 6. John chapter 6, that's going to be one of your meditations related to the Eucharist. John chapter 6, 71 verses, three different parts. Jesus, what does he do? He multiplies the loaves. He walks on the water. Then he gets up and he gives one of the most brilliant discourses. And that is the bread of life discourse. In which he says, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood will have everlasting life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Your forefathers, your forefathers ate the man in the desert, but they died. Do not seek perishable food because I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever eats my body and drinks my blood will have everlasting life and I will raise him up on the last day. The bread is my flesh. He says it's my flesh and my blood. And what happens? What happens, he sees the whole multitude of people that he fed in the multiplication of the bread and the fish. He sees them disappearing because, because they say, this is a hard saying. Who can put up with it? That's what they said. This is a hard saying. Who can put up with it? And how, how much he must have suffered to see these people. I mean, what, what more do you want? He's walking on water. What more do you want? Come on, wake up. He multiplies loaves and fish for 15,000 people. Come on, what more do you want? Two extraordinary signs. When did you see someone walking on water? Or you run out of bread for Dodger Stadium and you break the bread and there's enough, there's a surplus. Two huge miracles. Because they were seeking for him what he could give them on a material plane. And what does he say? Do not seek the perishable food, but seek the bread 
that brings eternal life. Okay. Principle and foundation. Do you want to go to heaven? Jesus says this categorically. Without hammer haw, without without any equivocation. He says, whoever eats my body and drinks my blood will have everlasting life and I will raise him up on the last day. Isn't that clear? I mean, a a seven-year-old kid could understand that. I mean, it's it's not complicated. And he says, whoever does not eat my body and drink my blood will not have everlasting life. That's very clear. So going to Mass and receiving the Eucharist is not optional. It's obligatory for our salvation. It's obligatory for our salvation. Once again, going back to principle and foundation. What do they say in physics? The quickest route between two places is a straight line. That's what they say. You know, not zigzagging or making circles. If you want to arrive as someone, go, go a straight line. Do you want to? You want the quickest way to heaven? Have you ever heard of Blessed Carlos Acutis, the, the little, the teenage saint? What did he say? He said, the Eucharist for me is the highway to heaven. I love that saying. He got 16. What was he doing? He's making a website on the Eucharist. And there are Eucharistic displays in the country you can invite in your parish. They came to us. Well, they're going to be going through about 40 different Eucharistic miracles. I think you should invite those people to your parish because if they're weak in their devotion to the Eucharist, by seeing these Eucharistic miracles of, of, of Lanciano, Bolsena, Siena, there are a lot, Buenos Aires. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you may, maybe you can just mention that at the end place where it can be done. But ask your pastor to bring that in. Hey, hey two weeks. In, uh, in eight days is Corpus Christi. No better time. No better time than the feast day of Corpus Christi. So, if you you want the highway to heaven, the the quickest way for you to go to heaven is through Jesus Christ. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. But he's present. He's present in the Eucharist. Jesus did not say to these people, no, come on back. No, I was just speaking symbolically. No, come on back. Did he say that? No, it's just a symbol. Symbol. No, it's not transubstantiation. It's consubstantiation. (laughs) No, it's just a symbol. Just a symbol. No. Sorry, I hurt your feelings. It's just a symbol. Did Jesus say that in John chapter 6? I've never read that yet. You let them go. And what's the conclusion? 
of John chapter 6. You've got to read it. Uh, uh, part of your meditation. Jesus is standing there alone. Abandoned by all these lost sheep that he fed. With bread and fish, walking on water, showing them that he's not simply a man, but he's God. Only God can do these miracles. What happens? He says to them, and I even say to you, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave me? Peter says, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we've come to know that you are the Son of the living God. Tighten your seatbelts now. Then Jesus says, Isn't it true that I called you? But one of you is a devil. Read it. One of you is a devil. Talking about Judas Iscariot who would betray him. So Judas Iscariot's betrayal was prophesied in John chapter 6. Very symbolic of what's going on in the church today. Very symbolic. Spend a couple hours meditating upon that. Yeah. Plumb the depths of that. If there's anything I'd like to do as a priest is instill in you a great love for the Mass. Did you notice when I lifted up the host and the chalice today? Did you notice? Or were you asleep? Did you notice how concentrated I was? That's for me, but that's for you too. What's going on in your mind as lay people? I'm reading like a Padre Pio would go into an ecstasy for an hour. Yeah. He'd be living that for an hour. Padre Pio. You've heard of Padre Pio, right? Probably the greatest modern saint. I mean, he couldn't, he couldn't put it down. Because he believed. And he would say that that's the very center of his life. You think about his stigmata, fine. But even beyond the stigmata is the Mass that he celebrated. Your sons, how could they not want to be a priest if they believe in the Eucharist? Maybe I'm a simpleton. How could they not? Okay, a lot of good-looking babes out there, no doubt, okay? But they can't compare to the face of Christ. Amen, yeah. <laughs> Amen? Amen? Who can compare to the beauty of Christ? Tell me. No one. You're, if you're, that's right. But if, if your sons really believe that, you'd have the seminary packed with young men if they believed it. But because of a poor catechesis, the belief is very weak. Here's, a, here, here's a, uh, once again, stories of the saints. Here's a model saint for you. Have you ever heard of Saint Charbel Maclouf? Okay, just one of you. Okay, okay listen. 
Saint Charbel McClough was a he was a Maronite monk from Lebanon. He lived about a hundred years ago. Okay. C H A R B E L, okay? He's Lebanese, no? Uh, Maronite monk. He was canonized by Pope Paul VI. He lived about a hundred years ago. St. Charbel Maclouf. He asked, he asked his superior, he was a priest, if he could celebrate Mass every day at 12 noon. Why? You think he wanted to sleep in? Uh-uh. He thought maybe he's lazy, one of those lazy monks, he just wanted to sleep in. No way, Jose. Because the Mass was the center of his life. The Mass was the center of his life. And he wanted to spend, as soon as he got up, he wanted to spend the whole morning preparing for Mass. And he would celebrate the Mass at midday when the sun is highest in the sky. Then he would spend the whole afternoon and evening giving thanks. In a more limited sense, that should be our life. Our whole life should be focused and centered on the Eucharist. Spent the whole the whole morning preparing and the whole afternoon giving Thanksgiving. That's why the French Saint Saint Peter Julian Amard says all with respect to the Mass, all of eternity would, would not be sufficient to prepare for one Mass, all of eternity would not be sufficient to pray one Mass, and all of eternity would not be sufficient to give thanksgiving for one Mass. Also, the Mass that I celebrated, maybe it felt uncomfortable, why did I sit down for 10 minutes? Oh, poor Father Rome, he's had, he's had a hard day, he's taking a siesta, huh? Maybe you don't know that those were the 10 most important minutes in your day. And if you don't understand that, beg for deeper belief in the Eucharist. You still have to grow. My question is, what, okay, those ten minutes, I do it because that's my love affair with Christ. That's the time I can talk to Him. That's the time when I can say, Lord, bless these people. Fill them with peace and joy and love and holiness and you're going to receive many graces by that prayer. You will. You will. Because I believe, ask and receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. 
Say they can move the mountains. I do it for my own self because I want to tell the Lord I love Him and I thank Him and I praise Him and I worship Him. And I want to die loving Him and I want to go to heaven and once I go to, he- go to heaven I want to do even more good in heaven than on earth. Like St. Therese. That's my desire. I believe I'm going to make it. But once I get to heaven I'll do more good in heaven than on earth. But also I do that as a teacher, because we as priests were teachers, I'm trying to do it to give you a good example. How, how, how sad it is for me, a priest, to have those five minutes and people are looking at their phone, okay, they're looking around, they're looking at me. How sad. Do you understand who's in your heart? Do you understand that? What would happen if you invite me to your house to eat? And I eat and run, I don't even say hello and goodbye. I was brought up with English etiquette. You know what that is? I was brought up with English etiquette. (laughs) Weren't you? Shouldn't we have Eucharistic etiquette? Shouldn't we have, have Eucharistic manners in the way we receive the Lord? So I sat down for myself, but I sat down for you to try to give you a good example. You hear me? And I do, I do that in my parish. Probably the only priest that does. I'll sit down five, six, seven, eight minutes. And they know by now, because I've catechized them, those are the most important moments in your life. You've got problems with your son and daughter, pour your heart out. You, gotta, you, gotta, you have problems with a family member, pour your heart out then. That's the time God will hear you more than any other time. Take advantage of it. Before becoming a priest, when I came from home from college, I go to daily mass, and I had some free time before or after work because I worked on vacation. But I would spend an hour in preparation, then I'd spend an hour in Thanksgiving after every mass. I was a lay person. That's why I'm a priest, because I understood if I'm going to receive communion, I should try to prepare an hour if I can. Then afterward, an hour of thanksgiving. And that's why I'm a Catholic priest. That's why I'm preaching to you this now. Why don't all do that? Okay. It would be a good idea then. It's up to you to, it's up to, you to, to pray for your priests. Pray for your priests. Fast for your priests. The holiest people I know use are people that are praying and fasting for priests. The others are always criticizing. Criticizing, 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 criticizing. Always criticizing. Don't ask to have the temptation that I have one day. You'll probably be dead at the end of the day. Don't ask for it. None of you know. None of you know the trials and the interior trials that a priest goes through because you're not a priest. Talk with them. See, my, my mom talked with the priest and the nun, but she was very gentle. She brought in the documents. She had an appointment. was alone with them. She felt her duty for fraternal correction because she had 39 grandchildren. She has a right that her grandchildren receive 
I mean, and, and she had a duty as a grandmother. Because they have a right to receive communion. But she, she's not mean-spirited. But rather she's doing it with love. And, I, and, and I'm keenly aware of how dependent you are on priests. I'm keenly aware of how dependent you people are on priests. It scares me. Everyone is looking at the priest. Every action we do, you're looking at him. Keenly aware. And you, you are dependent upon the priest. You are. You are. But imitating holy women, pray and offer up sacrifices, support, encourage. If you have to correct the priest, then do it gently, but never publicly. As for an appointment, I can give you an hour, an hour talk on how to give fraternal correction. That's an, I've got tons of talks. I get talking until midnight. I'm a non-stop speaker. You know me by now. Fraternal correction, don't kid yourself. Fraternal correction, don't kid yourself. It's very difficult. You don't, don't do it well, it explodes in your face. If you don't know how to do it well. But now and then, how my mom prayed over it. She found the time. She got Vatican II. She got canon law. She got the Catechism of the Catholic Church. She gave it. Okay. She was rejected. And she went away praying for them, forgiving them. But I think we, I think we criticize more than we pray. Face it. That's why we're making retreats. Let's try to criticize less and pray and fast more in imitation of the saints. Yeah. Um, I've been taught that after when mass is over to stay after every you know after the final hymn to just kneel down and stay and give your thanksgiving at that time. So I mean, you don't even need the priest to do that. You just can do it on your own. Yes. What I've done in this retreat, because everyone wants to talk to me, which is good, thanks be to God. But after, after Mass, I, I go back there and I make my Thanksgiving, but I can't do it because everyone wants to talk to me, so I have to attend to you. But my purpose is after I receive, I go back there for 10 or 15 minutes, but everyone, Father, can I see you? Father, can I go to confession? But I have to attend to you. But my intention was, Go back there and talk to the Lord another 10 or 15 minutes. But the Lord understands my intention. Because he, wanted me, he wants me to attend you. My friends, I think one of the biggest sufferings will be how little we appreciated Mass in our life. So maybe we can all make a conversion to make, to make the intention to fall in love with the Mass and to pray for priests. You have a problem, instead of criticizing and gossiping and saying this or that, that's going to damage you and the people that are there present with you. Talk with him individually. You've heard of the Curie of Ars. Listen what the Curie of Ars says. We had, you probably know that we had a year for the priest, year 2010. Uh, 2010, I think it was, with Pope Benedict XVI. And he took the Curie of Ars as the patron saint as the model. Curie of ours asks this. In all the key, in all the key 
spiritual moments of your life, who is present? I'll ask you the question again. All the key spiritual moments of your life, who was present? At, at, at the baptism of your children? When he made his first communion, first confession? When he made his first communion? When he, he made confirmation? Priest? When he or she was preparing for, for marriage? When you had marriage problems? When your, when your mother got sick, who did you call? When your mother passed away, who was present? Who was there at the funeral? See how important the priest is. That's the curie of ours. And you know what he said is true. All those key moments in your life, you've got the priest present, supporting you spiritually. So you really cannot separate. I started talking about the Eucharist, but you cannot separate the Eucharist from the priesthood. And when you're meditating upon this mystery, read John chapter 6, read Matthew chapter 26, 26, read the Last Supper discourse, John 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, that's the Last Supper discourse. Be aware of the relationship between the priesthood and the Eucharist. No priest, no mass. No mass, no consecration. No consecration, no communion. No communion, no Jesus. No Jesus, we are spiritual orphans. It's as simple as that. So hopefully all of you will pray that we'll get more priests and holy priests. Amen? More priests and holy priests. So that'll be your focus tonight and tomorrow. You can meditate upon the Beatitudes, but spend some time loving the Eucharist, worshiping the Eucharist, adoring the Eucharist. And when you receive communion tomorrow in Mass, receive your communion as if it were your first communion, as if it were your last communion, as if it were your only Holy Communion. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Blessed the fruit of thy name, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for our sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Glory be to the Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. So I think the first conference tomorrow is, is at 8 o'clock, okay? So check out your, your schedule. God bless and have a good night.